I'm going to ask that you leave your Bible open to Psalm 139 and let me read to you Proverbs 1, 8, and 9 because the sermon is from Psalm 139. But listen to Proverbs 1, 8, and 9 and then we will look at Psalm 139. Proverbs 1, 8, and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. The word of the Lord. Now, if you will, like I said, let's keep our Bibles open in Psalm 139. Clearly from the passage I just read to you, we have fathers instructing children and we have mothers teaching children. So fathers and mothers are to be in the Bible instruction business. You may feel like you're not able to, but sorry, (laughs) sorry, you're able to because you're older and you have some experience that little bitty people don't have. In fact, Ephesians 6.1 says, the apostle says, children obey their parents. So not only are mothers and dads to be in the Bible instruction business, they're to be in the Bible commanding business. You're five-star generals in your home. You're to be in the Bible instruction business, and you're to be in the Bible commanding business. In fact, Ephesians 6.4 adds something else. It says, fathers are not to provoke their children, but to bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So especially it's laid upon our fathers to be in the instruction business of their children and in the commanding business of their children. Fathers are to be in the home, the prophet, the priest, and the king. We can go and we can say fathers are to be priests in the home. They're to pray for their families. They're to be ready to lay down their lives for their families. They're to be kings in their families. They are to rule over their children in love. And I think today the most important thing we want to look at is the fact that dads are supposed to be the prophets in the home. They are to take and teach their children the whole counsel of God. And so as we think about things, and I think the whole rest of the series, and I do, I've told you all before, I know Christmas is coming, and I'm going to break into to these sermons with some Christmas messages, but I think I'll probably have some some father and mother teaching kids stuff along the, along the way. But you must do some things as we go through this. And these are basic, this is basically what's coming. You and I as fathers are to impress upon our children a deep love for God. You are to teach your children that God loves them as they put their faith and trust in Him, loves them so much that when they sin, there is forgiveness. There is another start, a fresh start. On the other hand, we're to train our children that they're so sinful that when they do what is right, there's no reason for them to be puffed up. We must train our children and impress upon our children. There's something that our children are going to go through that we go through. Let me tell you what we go through in a nutshell. You and I go through this terrible feeling of the misery of sin. And then when we see our sin, we have to confess our sin. And then when we confess our sin, we have to find forgiveness with God from our sin. And so we turn and we forsake our sin. And then we find ourselves in this 
the system, if you will, this series of doing these things and putting our faith and putting our trust in Jesus again. And this happens again and again and again. And we find forgiveness and we look to Jesus and we keep walking with Him and we keep learning and loving Him. And then all of a sudden, as Jesus delivers us and gives us strength and power over our sins today, well, we find ourselves full of gratitude. You know, I think that, what is it, the the, uh, Heidelberg Catechism is guilt, grace, and gratitude. I'm guilty, I find God's grace, and I'm full of gratitude. That's what the whole Heidelberg Catechism is arranged to be like this. And so you and I, we are going through this series of things that's always taking place. It's an experience. It's always going to be this way. We're going to feel, if we're Christians, we're going to be miserable over sin. We're going to have to repent of those sins. We're going to put our faith in Jesus. We're going to be full of gratitude. It's going to be a series like this. Well, here's the question, though. Where do I start if I'm going to be this instructor? And where do I start if I'm going to be this commander? Well, let me put it this way. We're going to have to start. We're going to have to take one day at a time. We're going to have to start one catechism question at a time. Uh, You're going to have to start reading one sentence of the Bible at a time, not a paragraph. Don't get all carried away. I've got to read a book today to my kid to start. No, just read a sentence. Um, If you ask my family... From time to time, I'm all prepared to read a chapter to them. And I read one verse, and I pull out a blackboard, and I take one verse, and I talk for it. Sometimes they like me to stop a little early. But sometimes I might talk about one verse for 15, 20 minutes. And then I say, okay, I'm sorry, I went a little bit too long. Sometimes all it takes is a verse. And then you have some things you need to say to your kids. It starts with one verse at a time starts with one paragraph at a time. And by the way, it takes a lot of patience as we do these things. It takes time to build this into your lives. Well, the first thing, though, where do we start? Where do we start? Well, we begin this way. We begin by teaching our children who God is and what God is like. We start with who God is and what God is like. Now, um, I, try, I, I, I condense the sermon down because we're going to have the Lord's Supper. So I'm not going to tell you all the chapters we're going to study, but we're going to start with Psalm 139. <laughs> we're going to start with 139, and we're going to see who God is and what God is like, and we're going to move through some of the great chapters of the Bible that teach us about who God is. And in Psalm 139, it's the crown, some people call it, the crown of all the Psalms. It speaks of God's omniscience. It speaks of God's omnipresence. It speaks of God's sovereign creator and power. He's all-powerful. It speaks of God's holiness. And one of the reasons David is soaring to these heights in Psalm 139 is he's being pressed by by oppressors. He's being pushed by enemies and opposition. And so he re-explores, he rethinks through who God is and what He is like because he needs to experience fresh understanding of God. And that gives him comfort. It gives him comfort that he knows who, that God knows where he is. It gives him comfort that he knows that God is with him wherever he goes. It gives him comfort that God is holy. It gives him comfort that God is a shelter and his security. So let's start. We're going to look today at God's omniscience, and we're going to look at God's omnipresence. First, God is omniscient. Who is God and what is he like? Well, God is omniscient. Verse 1, he knows you. Verse 1, oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. The psalmist is encouraged that the Lord knows him. 
That's a scary thought. And the same is true of you and me. We ought to be encouraged that the Lord knows us. You know, this is not abstract knowledge. I mean, I, I, I keep... I'm, Pastor Sumter and I, we, we, we talk about how behind the times we are, but I do know this. God doesn't take one of these flash drives and download some information, hang it around his neck, and never think about you again. He just, you just hang there on his neck and he never thinks about you again. In fact, he might just take that flash drive and throw it away. Or he might delete it, throw it away. That's not how God thinks of us. God knows who we are. And he doesn't throw us away. He doesn't throw us away like a piece of trash. He doesn't delete us from the computer. He doesn't get rid of us. He knows everything and still likes, takes care of us and loves us. He knows who you are. He's present with you where you are. He's the one who formed you. He's the one who gave you the, you know, the gap between your two front teeth. He's the one that gives you the crooked smile. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows how tall you are. He knows you. The second thing he knows is he knows what you do. He knows all your external activities. Verse 2, you know where, when I sit down and you know when I rise up. God knows everything outwardly that you do. He knows when you play the violin or the fiddle. He knows. The third thing he knows is this. He knows what you think. He doesn't just know what you do on the outside. He knows what's going on inside your heart. You, verse 2, understand my thought from afar. All the internal workings. I read something years ago by John Murray, never forgot it. He said this. He said, if everybody knew what is on the inside of us, <laughs> what is, if everybody knew, if you could see all my thoughts right here, and I could see all your thoughts on this side while we're talking, there would be no peace, there would be no fellowship, there would be no harmony, because I would see what you're thinking. And maybe you thought a bad thought about me. Or maybe I thought a bad thought about you. And so we see each other's thoughts right here. There would be no way to work it out because, we, oh my, you found me out and I found you out. And then if I was feeling sorry for how I thought about you, you would not see it because you've already walked away. <laughs> but see, God knows all these things. All our thoughts are right. Every internal thing that's going on inside of me, he sees all of it on the big screen and he still doesn't throw us to the curb. I used to have this guy trained. And um, he, he married a woman and he says, you know, she's are you going to you going to kick me to the curb the way my husband did before? Uh, hey, he said that to me all the time. We, it was a common thing. Are you going to kick me to the curb? God doesn't kick us to the curb. He knows everything about us and he doesn't do it. The fourth thing he knows, he knows when you go out and when you drop, when you lie down. You scrutinize, verse 3, my paths and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. He knows your daily routine. He knows when you get up. He knows when you go to bed. He knows everything all in between. He knows that I get up every time, every day, and that I take six tablespoons of coffee and how much water and how much cereal. And he knows when I mix Shredded wheat up with with uh, raisin brand. He knows all these little idiosyncrasies. If you want to ask about that recipe, you can talk to me later. He also says this. Look at number number five. Is this? He knows what you say. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Before your mouth, before your teeth, before your tongue, before your lips form a syllable, he knows what you're going. To say, and this sums it all up. Number six, he knows what you need. Well, let me explain that. He knows what you need. 
Listen to verse 5. You, having closed me behind and before, and laid your hand upon me. You know, you know, he knows who you are. He knows what you do. He knows what you think. He knows when you go out. He knows when you lie down. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. And he knows in the midst of opposition and difficulty and trials, he knows what you need. What do you need? Well, you need shelter. You need somebody who makes sure that everything's secure for you. In the midst of it all, these words, you have enclosed me. These are some fabulous words, folks. You have enclosed me. You have hemmed me in. You have put, this is, this is my meditation, you have put your loving squeeze on me. Get that? Let me tell you what I do with things that I really want to take care of. You can ask my kids, you can ask my wife, what I do with things that I really love that are precious to me besides living persons. I go and I get, if I take this Bible on a trip and I'm going to move to another state, I'm going to take this Bible and I'm going to put it back in its box with the paper around it. I'm going to close the box, put the paper on it, put the box around it. Then I'm going to put it inside another box and I'm going to put soft stuff around it. Then I'm going to put it in a box and I'm going to tape the box together. And if I can sneak it past my wife, I'm going to put it underneath my knees in the car where I know right where these precious things are. I'm going to enclose them. And something's going to be beside them in the front and behind them. And I'm going to be right on top of them. They're enclosed. The Lord encloses you. He squeezes you. This is a sort of a, it feels good. This is a good picture. There's nothing that can separate you who've been enclosed by God, who's before you and behind you and on top of you with his hand. He says this in response to it. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. See, God knows you and I need security. We all know people who if they knew everything about us, they wouldn't have anything else to do with us. But God knows everything and He still puts the loving squeeze on us. He still hems us in. He still takes care of us. He still sends Jesus to die on the cross for us. It's unimaginable. God knows the best about me when others do not know the best about me. And don't give me a chance. And they think the worst about me. God knows when it's not my fault and everybody else thinks it is my fault. God knows every weakness, every strength. He knows just how long to keep us alone. He knows just when we need companionship. He knows just when we need a new job. He knows just when we need what we need. He knows just how to correct us and when to rebuke us. It's just too good to be true. And this is what we need to teach our children. Young people, our, our parents, they're, they're going to be trying to teach us who, who you are and how God loves you and how He takes care of you. He knows what you do when you lie down, when you get up. He knows what you're going to say. And He knows most of all that you need Jesus Christ. He's the one. He is the enclosure. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus says, I'm a good shepherd. And He says, he says how, how do I get to know this shepherd? Well, He says, I'm a gate. How do you enter into Jesus? Well, you walk through Jesus into a, a pen, into an enclosed space. Jesus says, in me, 
I'm the gate. Walk into me and I will give you provision. I will give you protection. I will take care of you, all your needs. He's the good shepherd. He's the enclosure that we need. He's the one when we're in him, there's a a loving squeeze. He is before you. He is behind you. And when you go through difficult times, if you go read Psalm 23, he talks about coming up alongside of you and putting the arm around you. Not just being out in front of you all the time, but he comes alongside of you. He's the one whose hand is upon us and from whose hand cannot we cannot be snatched. The one true and living God knows all these things about you. And he's still is there for us. Do I know this person? Do I know Jesus Christ? Do I know the one who encloses me? Have I entered into this gate? Entered into this way of living? He says, if you do not listen to him that, and you do not obey him, he says, I do not know you. But he calls. He calls. How do you say, well, how do I know I'm being called? Well, let me tell you how you know. Do you love him? Are you walking according to these words? You see, I haven't ever heard God say, Hey, Mark! But you know what I do know? I've heard these words move me towards Him. I've heard the Spirit of God move me towards Him. Opening up my heart to Him. To walk through this gate and to know these pleasures. Am I in the gate? Am I in this enclosed space where there's love and provision? He calls us to Him. Well, who is God? And what is he like? Well, he's omniscient and he's omnipresent. God knows me and God is with me. Look at verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Now, you know, when I first came to this this congregation uh, a couple of years ago, I preached some sermons on Jonah. Remember Jonah? Jonah chapter 1. What's Jonah trying to do? Jonah's trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. He's trying to get out of there where he's not around anything that reminds him of God. But the, the, the uh, psalmist here is just in a different situation. He's going, I don't, there's no place I can go from your spirit. There's no place I can fr- flee from your presence. And the word presence there means face. There's no place I can go from your face. And he's taking this as compassion. And he's taking this as help from God and encouragement from God. Because he's got the opposition. We got Jonah over here. He doesn't want to obey God. But this guy wants to obey God and he's fleeing from dealing with his opposition. Our children's catechism says, where is God? Does anybody know the answer? God is. God is everywhere. Well, let's see where he's at. Look at verse 8. If I make, no, yeah, verse 8. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. God is in the heavenly places. Where's God? God's in the heavenly places. If you and I get on a rock, get on a spacecraft and it's powered by the Saturn V rocket, the most powerful rocket in all the world, and it takes us from one galaxy to the next, higher and higher we go, no matter how, how, how you go, God is there. Not only is He in the heavenly places, He's also in the deep places. Verse 8 says, If I make my bed in Shoal, behold, you are there. Now, Shoal can be understood in about three different ways. The first way it can be understood is six feet deep. It can be in the place of the dead. If I go and dig a hole and go six feet deep, Shoal is the place of the dead. It can mean the grave. It can also mean tunneling into the middle of the earth, going deeper and deeper into the earth. 
And then it can also mean the lowest of all places. What's the lowest of all places as y'all can think of? The, the, the low, well, not on the earth. <laughs> the lowest of all places is hell. Did you know that God is in hell? Oh, no, Pastor, God's not in hell. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah, he's there. It's just how he's there. So David is saying, look, if you go six feet deep, God is there. If you go tunneling into the middle of the earth, God is there. If you go mining, God is there. If you go to hell, if an atheist goes to hell, the worst thing that's going to happen to him, he's trying to get away from every thought about God, but God's going to be there. How's he going to be there? He's going to be there as a judge. He's going to be there with his face against him, but he's going to be there. This is not the devil's hell. This is God's hell. God made hell. He prepared it for the devil and his angels and all of us who will not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But it's the devil's hell. You know, one of the, the books I read by G.I. Williamson on, on uh, the catechism, it's got a picture of a kid holding a fish, uh, a goldfish in a bowl. You've seen this. And um, he's, he says, this is just like God with the devil. God is the boy. And the devil is the, the goldfish in the bowl. That's, that, that's, the devil belongs to God. The devil's used by God to do whatever he wants. But it's the devil's God, and God made hell for the devil. It's the, the, God's place. It's just not a happy place. And there God will be against all those who won't come to him. So think about it. God is in the heavenly places. God is in the lowest of the lowest places. And at all points in between... Don't, don't get to thinking he's just up here and down here. He's at all points in between. Third, God is in the east and the west. Look at verse 9. If I take my wings of the dawn, take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Taking the wings of the dawn is a figure of speech that out to the west, if I go the, at the speed of light, out to the, I mean east, sorry, did I say west? Out to the east where the sun comes up, right? God is there. If I go, he says, and settle in the remotest part of the sea. Now, that's a, that's a figure of speech that talks about the western part of Israel to the farthest part of the Mediterranean Sea. So now I've got God. God is in the eastmost places where the sun comes up, and God is in the western places over here, that far side of the Mediterranean Sea. And it all points in between. He says this, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will lay hold of me. Well, fourth, he's in the highest places, in the lowest places. He's in the east and he's in the west places and all points in between. And he adds one more. God's in the dark places. Look at verse 12. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. I can't help but think that David is trying to figure out that there's some possibility. There's some possibility of a place that's so black, so dark, so bad that God's light, that God can't even be there. Surely there's a place so painful that's so separated from you that you won't be there. And then he says in verse 12, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Folks, listen, there's no darkness so bad. There's no pain so bad. 
There's no mud so bad that God can't penetrate that darkness. When you and I find ourselves in dark places, God is present. Let's put it back in those words of that enclosure. That gentle squeeze is always there. Never forsakes us. Always in front of us. Always behind us. Always His hands on top of us. And this is what we have to instruct our children as we go through these things ourselves. If there's anything I've ever read by Calvin that means, I don't know anything that means more than these words. Prayer, Calvin says, literally is the time we instruct ourselves in the things of God. Oh, no, no, just when I'm meditating. That's when I'm instructed. Oh, no, 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 when I'm in Sunday school class. Oh, no, 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 when I'm studying and reading. Prayer is literally the time we instruct ourselves in the things of God. Prayer. We tell ourselves who God is and what God is like. We are doing this while we pray. So you and I, we go and learn Psalm 139 and we pray through it and we tell our kids all about it. And here are the things we need to instruct them. Young people, tell your young people, there are some really, really dark places in the world. And the second thing, we have, we're going to tell them our only relief in these dark places has been the very nature of God. My son, my daughter, I realize the only way to make it through some of the grief and some of the pain and some of the misery is that I've had to find it only in God alone. Can you remember the time you're sitting at the Whataburger at 6.30 in the morning and you just hurt so bad and you've got to go back to work at 7? There's times it's just not good. And the only way you make it through this stuff is you have to rely and lean into the nature who God is. He is always there. You're going to pass through the valley of the shadow of death. You're going to go through rivers that rise up so high. We talked about the woman that was drowned last week. There's times when you feel forsaken. There's times when you don't think God loves you or cares. There's times when you're just like Dave and you're in a cave. You're going to be in a burning, fiery furnace with the three Hebrew boys. You may be in the lion's den with Daniel. You may be in mud up to your waist with Jeremiah and wondering if anybody's going to come and help. There's going to be times when maybe you're banished from the earth to the Isle of Patmos like John the Apostle and you don't know if any human hand will ever come and help you. <laughs> they don't care whether you're dead or alive. It's this, this, this time, I've heard it put this, this way <laughs> from one of the theologians I watch on TV shows. He said this, you have to have these truths ingrained in your cells. Here's what you need to say. This is what the Lord declares. Am I only a God who's nearby and not a God far away? Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him? Declares the Lord. Do I not feel heaven and earth? Declares the Lord. There's no place we can go. He is in the valley of the shadow of death. He is with us when the waters rise. He is with you when you feel forsaken. He is with you in the cave. He is with you when you're with the three Hebrew boys. He's with you in the lion's den. He's with you out there on the Isle of Patmos. He's with you in the mud up to your waist. 
He's with you. He's with you when there seems to be no human hand to give you any aid. He's there. There's no place we can go where we can't worship God in our hearts. I'm, I'm gonna. I, I'm, I know this is old fogey, but um, you know I still remember reading about uh, Corey Ten Boom and pulling her little Bible out of her sleeve with all those fleas on them and thanking God for the fleas because it kept all the guards at bay where they could read the Bible and pray. It's kind of a bad place. This is what we have to instruct ourselves. This is what we have to have ingrained in ourselves. This is one of those things where, you know, I know clickbait's not good. You know, we all, everybody knows what clickbait is. But this is one time when you ought to have a click. All you do is click and it goes, here's who God is. Here's what God is like. And God is with you at all points, at every time. And this is what you teach your kids. And what's most important is we must teach our children that Jesus went to the darkest place of all so that we never have to go there. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. His name is Jesus. He's the one who would save his people from their sins. And the moment, from the moment he entered into this world, the darkness was trying to put him out as the light of the world. It even says this. It says these are chilling words. Luke twenty two twenty three. It says, but this is Jesus says your hour when darkness reigns. The devil came and through all his machinations and the Jews and the Romans, putting Jesus to death on the cross, they thought they had won. The darkness thought they had won. He went into the darkest place, and God the Father removed from Jesus Christ every sensible evidence that Jesus had ever known. Any joy, any pleasure, all the love, all the enjoyment that flowed back and forth between the human nature of the Son and God the Father, it was removed he was put enclosed in the dark space so that you don't ever have to be there. Ever. He was in the dark space. He had the darkness in the front, behind, and on top of him so that you never will have to have that in your lives. Jesus goes there for us so that we never have to go there ever. And so that he can be with us in all our difficulty, our difficult places. Is that your hope this morning? Do you know Jesus Christ who endured the darkness of the cross for you so that you don't have to worry about it? Jesus can sympathize with us in our darkness, as bad as it might be. He can save you from the worst darkness so you never have to go there. Well, we get to serve the Lord's Supper today. And it comes from a great, wonderful it's a, it's a great place. This is light. This is, this is bread. This is wine for the soul. This is what encourages us as we move through uh, this week and these last month, uh, few weeks of this year. And it's a great privilege to be able to serve this supper to you this morning. And the Lord said on the night he took the bread, he broke the bread, and he blessed it. And he said these words, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also said this. He took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. There's a certain form that we go through. We go through this form. And then there's two things that Jesus is doing here. He gives us promises and commands. 
The promises are these, there are two promises. This is my body. This is my blood. What do you do with promises? You receive those promises with faith in your heart. So when you come to the table this morning, come with hearts of faith. What do you do with commands? The commands are drink, eat and drink. Take and eat, drink all of it. And so with commands, we come with obedience. And so this morning, we come with faith in our hearts. We come with obedience in our hearts. And all of us who are invited are His disciples. Have you professed your faith in Jesus Christ this morning? Are you part of a congregation where you've been baptized and you're a member and you're, you're under the, the care of a session of elders who keep watch over your soul? The table is for you. The Bible tells us that we ought to examine ourselves before we eat and drink. And so I'm going to ask that you examine your hearts for faith, for obedience, and for repentance. If this is new to you, if you don't know what we're talking about, then I'm going to ask you just to meditate on the sermon. I'm going to ask for you to think about what Jesus came to do. He came to save us from a dark place by faith in Him. Trust in Jesus. We'll talk about the about eating and drinking later. But if you're here today and you're His disciple, then you need to come with faith and repentance and obedience Sometimes people say, well, pastor, my faith is so weak. My repentance is so crummy. (laughs) My obedience is so sorry. Well, then come to him with a heart of love. Come to him demonstrating faith by taking the bread and the wine. Come to him because you need him. Come to him with faith, the faith that you have, and take hold of him and obey him. Let's put it this way. If you're defiant this morning and you won't let go of a sin, don't eat and don't drink. But if you're penitent and you want Jesus, this is for you. Take hold of him. Every part of him. You get every bit of him. He gives him to you and you receive him with a mouth of faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word preached. We thank you for the opportunity to sit and eat and drink as Jesus gives himself to us again afresh and anew. I pray, Father, that you'll give us mouths of faith, that we would spiritually eat and spiritually drink of what Jesus gives us today, his whole person, with all of his benefits and all the grace that goes along with it. Strengthen us as we eat. Help us enjoy Jesus. and Help us enjoy the presence of one another. We'll praise you for it. Set these elements apart from their common to sacred use for your glory and for our good. We pray in Christ's name.